0: Welcome to Elite Team Leadership. Today is episode 13 featuring Benjamin Harvey, who I was super stoked to have on the show. Uh, Simply amazing Benjamin Harvey, who's up in Sydney, who runs his educational training group called Authentic Education, which works with people to really live out their love and live out their passion through their work. So he got to catch up with us via phone, actually, from his Sydney base there, and we had a massive chat this Episode I must say is epic, so you have got to listen to this one. He's an absolute star. Um, I can't say much more about this one. This is covers a lot of range of topics. As you as an athlete, you as a business person, you as a school student, person who's just working a job you're not happy with, this is a episode you cannot miss because Benjamin has given us his time to really catch up and and really. Uh, go through a whole heap of things. So guys, listening for this one, you will not regret it. So I'm glad you listened to this right now. And when you're done with this, you make sure you grab hold of one of your mates and give them a shake a bit and say, hey, listen to this one because this is gonna change your life. This is Benjamin Harvey and myself. James O'Connor, really getting our chat on and getting our uh, thing happening with some really cool content for you guys. So make sure you pass it on to people and tell them about it because this is a must. Um, But guys, sit back, enjoy this one, whether you're sitting in your car or walking or running or the gym or whatever you're doing, this is A Ripper. Enjoy with Benjamin Harvey.
1: Hello and welcome to Elite Team Leadership. Today, I'm super excited to have on the show Benjamin Harvey from Authentic Education, uh, which is a training group based in Sydney uh, who work with people to really live their passion and live your love is their slogan for their um, business, which is super stoked to have been on the call. So how are you, Ben? Man, I'm well. I'm excited. <laughs> Fantastic, man. So super stoked to have you here and Really want to go through with you over this um, podcast episode and really um, chat about what you're doing now and, and really just dive right in and so the viewers out there and listeners out there can really um, grab some um, cool things from today and really apply it to themselves. So we'll just start with man. We'll be, give us a bit of background about what you're doing now and what you've done in the past and um, and we'll take it from there.
2: For sure, sounds good. Well, I know a lot of your listeners are, are sporting people that want to get elite performance and uh, I know some of the people who are listening in also want to grow their businesses and whatnot and uh, also I think the large majority of the people that, that tune to your uh, amazing podcast, uh, people that just want to perform at a very high level and, and I'm kind of, went down that path as well. I was struggling about 15 years ago through some pretty uh, chronic clinical depression. I'd, I'd had that for about four and a half years and I'd been on all the medication and I was seeing the psychiatrists and the doctors and uh, all that kind of thing and and I wanted to find a way out of it and uh, I I remember a moment where I sort of said to myself if I can find a way out of this if I can get myself out of this depression I was heavily overweight at the time I was well over 100 kilos and I was unemployed and on the dole and and, you know I was was just going through some not so enjoyable times and I just thought to myself I'll ever get myself out of this I'm going to dedicate my life to teaching people how to how to fix these things and how to create results in their life. And yeah. About 10 years ago, I started studying uh, and I studied all over the world, learning as much as I could and, again, coaching. Uh, so about a decade ago, I first started coaching people for uh, elite performance, uh, kind of like exactly what you do. Yeah. And uh, And I just wanted to learn more and more and more. So I studied as much as I could. And about six years ago, we launched our very first company, uh, that specialized in training so up until then I just had a coaching business and uh, we opened up authentic education and yes. uh two years into that uh, as you're probably aware it became a BRW fast Start recipient so we we won an award in 2013 for being one of the fastest starting training organizations in Australia and yeah. uh, that leads me here today where I basically just like to help people because uh, I did manage to get myself out of it got myself out of all the medication got myself back on track and I got myself to a level of uh, balance and performance and success that I just want to share with people. So nowadays, we just travel around Australia, as you're well aware, running workshops and seminars on mindset and business and how people can present their message and most importantly, as you pointed out, just how people can get to do what they love. And and really what we're we're dedicated to in our company is uh, helping your listeners uh, find what it is that they love. And I know a lot of your listeners love sport. And how do they actually make that commercially viable? Because one thing to love something... But it's a whole nother thing to get paid what you love, uh, because you are performing at a very peak level, but also because you've got good understanding of, of how do I turn this thing into a commercially viable concept. So that's what we're doing now. And, and it's, you know, I've got to tell you, as, as you know, doing what you do, it's, it's a bucket load of fun. It's, you know, inspiring people yeah. to transform and become authentic and, and, and do their thing. I couldn't think of anything else
1: I'd rather be doing now.
2: And it's been a journey, but I'm here now and, uh, I'm just happy to be able to go out there and help others. It's, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, really happy to have your time to come and chat with us today. And I'd just like to point out for listeners out there, I actually attended one of Ben's events earlier this year, and um, it was a full-day event. And um, I just wanted to, if anyone gets a chance to, uh, you know, catch up with Ben when he's in town in your city because he goes across the country, make sure you get there because I was enthralled for about 12 hours straight. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> Um, and Ben's amazing and you learn so much through those events. So, guys, if you get the chance, make sure you go along um, to one of his events. Now, Ben, I just love the fact that um, I was just going through all your stuff and sort of preparing for today's um, um, session with you. Um, actually, one of the trains I really would like to just came up and popped in my eyes and I thought was so interesting was your work at the IAC, the International yeah. Academy of Consciousness. <laughs> Tell me a bit about that. I, just, I think that was fascinating. Yeah, it is pretty bizarre.
2: Uh, it certainly, it's kind of funny. Everyone in this industry's got a hard luck story, and mine's no no different to anyone else's. And I mean, I really did screw my head up. I had some major uh, traumas and, and abuse kind of things happen when I was a very very young child, and. And uh, you just start looking for answers, and I looked everywhere for answers. I mean, I studied meditation, Reiki, shamanic practice, crystal therapy, sacred geometry, anything and everything to try and fix myself, and I stumbled across this organization called the IAC, which is the International Academy of Consciousness, and... uh, there was just something really unique about them. They're scientists, right? That, that study uh, consciousness. That, that's all they do. They just they got bored of science. They're they PhD qualified scientists who yes. uh, basically just got bored of science about 45 years ago and thought, "Stuff it! We'll go and study the phenomena of the world, of the phenomenon in the world." And they just looked for it through the history books for every single thing that could not be proven by science at this moment. So they looked at biolocation, astral travel remote viewing, uh, telekinesis, being able to move things with your head and and just bizarre things. And then they sit around in these laboratories, for want of a better phrase, and they move energy and attempt to replicate the phenomena for the purposes of proving it wrong. So so they set out to prove all the history books wrong of anything that ever had anything that, that had something like a phenomenon in it and yeah. uh, after a couple of years they started to realize that they were proving some of these things correct and so they formed this entire organization that's a global network now of people that don't use any type of mind-altering substances or they don't use any drugs whatsoever in fact it's one of the prerequisites that you can't have taken drugs for a number of years and they basically uh researched just the most bizarre things. so i actually went and studied in portugal at the, 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 academy there and, and studied astral travel of all things. And they taught me for a, a good couple of years how to exit the body and, uh, use it as a research tool. And, uh, it was, it was, I got to say it was a trip. Like, it was, <laughs> uh, like when I look back at it and people ask you know, what was the core benefit you got out of it? I, I don't know how practically beneficial, if I'm totally honest, I, I just don't know how practically beneficial all of that training I did was. But if yes. I got anything out of it, it was one key distinction, and that is that we are simply, without a shadow of a doubt, we are not our physical form. We are something so much more than that. And I'm not talking it from a from a religious perspective or a spirituality perspective. I'm talking it from a direct experience perspective, void of any type of belief. That, that there was definitely some moments there where when you just touch exactly what you are from an energetic sense and you realize that you're infinite. You you realize that you're made of this substance that has absolutely no end. And and one of the dichotomies of trying to understand uh, the nature of who we truly are is is we, we, we don't know as a human how to comprehend infinity. We can think about it. We can conceptualize it. But no one truly understands how do you... How do you experience infinity? Because we think in finite terms. That's that's kind of the issue that we have. And so, uh, at at certain points in that pro training, maybe once or twice in, in the three or four years I studied with them, I had a definite moment where I was able to experience, still not being a, not able to conceptualise, but able to experience this this thing called infinity. And I think that that was valuable because it took away my fears one hundred percent of death and dying. And I think when that goes, a lot of your listeners will realize that when you remove your fears, you perform at a much higher level. That there's a function in the hindbrain, uh, that reptilian part of yourself that protects you from from imminent attack, protects you from danger and doubt and fear and complication and protects you from boredom. There's a part of your hindbrain that reserves 85% of your vital life force. So when you're on the sporting field and you're playing your best game ever, you're still only using 15% of your actual energy unless you learn to disconnect the part of your brain that is attempting to hold energy for flight or fight in case something like a wildebeest runs on the tennis court, you know, and you've got to, you've got to protect yourself <laughs> from it and run off the court in the other direction. Your hind brain, even though it's only 10% of the mass of your entire brain, it still contains 50% of the neural networks. And what I mean by neural networks are the The thought pathway, so while you're playing a game of tennis, there's still a huge part of your mind thinking about, am I gonna get attacked here on this court by some type of animal or some natural disaster? And if so, I must keep my energy. So even at the end of the game when you're totally drained, it's really important to realize you you've still got 85% of the fuel left in the tank. So the best sporting athletes out there do one very specific thing. They make their craft more important than life itself. And if you can convince yes. the brain that winning is more important than life itself, then what the brain does is something very unique, and it releases its reserve tank. It releases the eighty-five percent of the fuel that it's that it's using in case of a, an attack. And this is where we see mothers who can lift cars off, you know, their their their, their children. You know, they 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 do these. Yeah. We've heard the rumors of women finding this ridiculous amount of energy and literally rolling cars over to protect their kids. And that's nothing superhuman. All we've seen in that moment is the hindbrain releasing back into the system the reserve tank of fuel because the the task in front of them is more important than protecting their life. So the best sporting athletes are the one that can remove fear. So if we go back to the beginning of the question, the International Academy of Consciousness, I mean, I would have to say has 100% without a shadow of a doubt removed all of my fear of death and uh because I, I, I really got this concept that there's no end to it. It's, it's not sort of a reincarnation belief or anything. It's the direct experience that energy doesn't, doesn't go in. It, it cannot die. And one of the key phrases at the International Academy is don't believe anything, especially what we tell you at this academy. Have your own experience. And so they're really big on making sure you experience the learning and don't believe anything. And that's what I really loved about them. I love the fact that none of the teachers have ever taken any type of hallucinogenic drug. They only use energy work and they don't expect you to believe anything they say. And I thought it was some really good um, distinctions. So that's kind of what I learned there. I learned not to be afraid of death. And in doing so, you reduce your risk threshold significantly and, uh, and you perform at a higher level. I think peak performance is about managing risk and
1: getting rid of fear. It's, yeah, it's so interesting, interesting Like uh, that sort of whole concept there. And I just sort of want to turn this into a bit of a, a practical sense for listeners out there. So if you're an athlete competing at a high level and you sort of really want to tap into that or reduce your fear of death and really tap into that um, extra strength or extra energy you have there, What's sort of something you could almost apply today or in the next coming weeks? What could sort of things you could do to start to tap into a bit of that and gain more of that sort of um, disregard for death in a way and really increase your performance?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's kind of a three-step process. I think there's three there, – we've definitely got three different parts of our brain and uh, a neuroscientist back in the 1950s, Paul D. McLean, Hypothesized an idea that we've got three different brains operating. We've got something he called the reptilian complex, which is a very familiar term nowadays. He invented that. He said we've got something known as the limbic system, which is now a very popular term in all walks of life. And he also explained that we've got this thing known as the neomammalian complex. So he called these three complexes the, the reptilian complex, the paleomammalian complex, and the neomammalian complex. Now, what they mean is we've got a hindbrain, a midbrain, and a forebrain, and each one of those things requires a different distinction to come to a peak performance state. So the hindbrain manages startle response, breath rate, uh, heart rate, and so on and so forth. So the hindbrain responds very well to meditation. So meditative states are very beneficial to navigate past the animalistic nature of who you are because if the hindbrain is operating you on the sporting field, you are going to be reacting to the plays that are occurring. But if you can uh, neutralize or control the hindbrain, you can move from what's known as involuntary muscle movement to voluntary muscle movement. So the first thing I generally recommend people who want to peak perform is learn any type of meditation. I mean, we've got meditation stuff on our... Uh, a website, but the yeah. thing is, you know, there's so many practices out there, you just got to pick one that works. None are more or less better than others. Some of them don't quite get the result you're looking for, but meditation is, is one of the first things I'd say. The second thing, I've got say say like three checkpoints. You've got three checkpoints to get through. Checkpoint one is the reptilian complex, so that one, use meditation, it's always good. Checkpoint two, the Olympic system, I normally look at this as a visualization checkpoint. So a checkpoint where you need to imagine the outcomes that you want. And I have not met a peak performer yet in the history of doing this. And I, I've done over 7,000 one-on-one sessions, and we, we speak in speaking from about 20,000 to 25,000 people a year, every year in Australia. So I've seen a few yes. people, and it would be stupid of me not to observe some trends. And one of the trends is that successful people... They all visualize, every one of them, imagine every single day the outcomes that they want. So by imagining and rehearsing and mentally rehearsing, then certainly you get into a good position. And the third thing that works with the Neo-Mammalian Complex, which is the logical center, the center of reasoning, I like to do a lot of list writing. Reasons why uh, it's important and beneficial for me to perform. Reasons why this sport, uh, reason why I dedicate my life to this sport reasons why uh, this idea is more important than me you know things like that so if I really would just sit down and say learn how to meditate learn how to visualize and have some rock-solid reasons as to why this sport is so important because your brain will prioritize anything that's important and if it's important enough it will give up the reason for protection in order for importance. It's kind of a very unique sort of structure. So I've yeah. worked with um, Peak Performance, I've worked with a couple of Olympians as well, and uh, certainly the things I get them to do is just meditate, uh, visualize, and then every day come up with brand new reasons why this sport is more important than life itself, why this sport they dedicate their life to, it and things like that. And they come up with thousands of reasons. They just write them in a notepad every day yeah. before they go to sleep. And these things will, will start to, to help for sure. Uh, and also, when you visualize outcomes, you have less fear of them as well. So anytime you can imagine an outcome, your brain doesn't know the difference between whether you're imagining it or whether it's real. So uh, the best way to reduce fear of things is to imagine the outcomes that you want, and therefore you'll have less fear. So if you can meditate, visualize, and have good logical reasons why it's more important or you dedicate your life to it, you'll be in a great position to pick perform
1: yeah I love that that's great and I'm sure everyone you know can really um, you know start o- straight away gets stuck right into doing those three things I just sort of want to share a little story I love this sort of stuff and about um, you know tapping into that extra strength is through um, story with Will Smith who's obviously yeah. the actor everyone knows um, I was gonna say something about him That's so funny <laughs> yeah there you go I, I, I love Will Smith I think he's incredible Um and obviously, you know, he's basically one of the biggest actors in the world. He's hugely successful. But he has this cool story that I absolutely love and I tell a lot at my seminars as well. Is He has this thing where he's going for like an acting role um, and he has this visualisation where he's on a treadmill. <laughs> and are, are you going to tell exactly the same story? I I'm totally going to say it. I
2: love it. Yeah, go on. Oh,
1: fantastic. <laughs> well, the story goes basically he has this visualisation that he's on a treadmill for the folks listening on a treadmill and there's another guy beside him and they're both basically competing for the same role and when Will Smith gets on this treadmill, he is so focused and so um, hell-bent on getting this role, he says two things are going to happen, either first thing, they're getting off first and he's going to get the role, so they're going to give up before he does and he's going to outwork them or two, he's going to die trying to get that role to beat the other guy and succeed and live his dream and live his vision, and I just thought that is so cool, and you can see why a guy like Will has got so much success in his life, and I guess it's just exactly what you're talking about before, which is and it's funny that we both really had the same story
2: <laughs> uh, and it totally, it always brings to mind so for me that 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 interview where he said that it just it always pops into my head, and yep. just the way he says it, you know he says you know either you're getting off. Or I'm dying on this treadmill. <laughs> and that's, that's really the attitude. And And so if the listeners can go into their sporting events like it's the last time they're ever going to play, ever, then that's what makes a difference. I mean, we train presenters all over the world to present their message. And I always say to them, every time you get on stage, this is your very last talk. We call it the last lecture. So we always inspire people to speak as if this is literally, without trying to be too morbid, this is the last time you'll ever speak in your life. How are you going to show up to this talk? And that's when they bring the emotion in, they bring the authenticity and they bring their rawness in and they don't hold anything back. And if people play like that, I mean, I used to, back in the day I had a lot of of learning disabilities when I was growing up. And so I just became very good at sports. So I was in the rugby first 15, the uh, Australasian champion, dragon boats, I did gymnastics for Australia, I swum for Australia. I mean, I just played sport because it just it made me feel successful because I couldn't yes. do academia. And I certainly found that when I would get onto the sporting field in any way, shape or form, be it uh, dragon boats, gymnastics, rugby, uh, whatever it was at the time, I found that the people on that field who had lost all uh, care, I guess, for their physical body, and had just focused in on the ball, for example, they're the ones who played at the highest level. They, they really did. There There is definitely a distinction there uh, that I, you can see in a, in a sporting person who is playing like it's their last game. You know, that, that there's something, definitely something about that. And I just read, it's a simple thing. It's a mindset. It's just a belief. Just get on there and say, this is my last game ever. How am I going to show up? If this is the last game, I'm ever going to be remembered for in my entire career, how do I want to be remembered? And uh, I can't say I've played too many times like that, but I can definitely recall a couple of times I've run onto the rugby field uh, where I just had no care whatsoever and definitely some of the best games I've ever played. And so that's yeah. what I generally recommend. It's your last game. It's always your last lecture and, and play it that way. And,
1: and it's interesting. I had a, um, a few episodes ago sort of listeners remember. I had a guy who's on his um, mission, I guess, to um, climb to the top of Mount Everest. And it's interesting, he talks about a lot of people asking him about, you know, aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't you afraid of, you know, getting stuck up there and freezing to death and all these sorts of things? But he talks about, like, people die every day, of a whole range of different things. And walking across the street and you get hit by a car or, you know, people in hospital right now so many things out there, and yet they let the fear hold them back from doing something, you know, Amazing, like climbing Everest. It was interesting to talk about, um with him on that as well, which was fascinating. Um. Yeah. And it's ben, a fact to... it is. We dive all sorts of things. Absolutely. And nice thing. I actually would like to, um, sort of touch on, um, I was reading a bit about your programs and how you, um, focus on, um, a, you know, business and living around your head, your heart and your hand and being, having that all aligned. Can you explain a little bit about that and and what that means?
2: Yeah, I think it's more about getting into alignment those three different checkpoints. And uh, if we if we look at you know I mentioned Pauline McLean earlier, but if we look at throughout the history of the human race, we've always had this concept of a trinity of of ideas. We've got the mind, body, spirit. We've got the uh, head, the heart, and the hand. We've got the hindbrain, the midbrain, the forebrain. Generally, it doesn't matter where you go to try and research personal development. We tend to keep seeing that it's broken down into three key concepts, and that is uh, physical movement, feeling, and thinking. And they're kind of the three distinctive ways. And if you go all the way back into the most ancient of ancient texts that we find around the world, uh, there is in fact a very, very ancient text that was rediscovered in 1954 uh, right near the Qumran Caves of Israel. They'd found these clay vases that had been buried underground that they had been, believed had been there for centuries. And uh, someone, an archaeologist, had uncovered this clay vase and they'd taken it and X-rayed the vase to see what's inside it. And uh, inside they saw this, uh, this scroll-like looking shape and they carefully cut the top off the vase and extracted this uh, scroll and written on this scroll and some very ancient text was some information they found someone who could translate it and they realized that what they discovered was a document created by a group of people known as the Essenes which were I lived in, in the Kwam caves you know two and a half thousand years ago and one of these documents uh, had the secret of manifesting anything you want in your life and I mean there's many many more documents about other things but for some reason in our day and age we're fixated on manifestation and creating things and they weren't so interested in that but they wanted to discover it and in it there was one paragraph where they described exactly how you create what you want in your life and uh basically if we were to translate it word for word this the, the paragraph was quite simply three is in the number 3 three are the dwellings of the sons and daughters of man thought feeling and body when these three become as one you will say to the mountain mountain move and the mountain will move And that was all they said, that's it. That that was their one paragraph on manifestation and they went off and they they were just researching consciousness. Very unique culture that studied in caves with their eyes closed for for hundreds of years and documented everything that they learned. And obviously these documents have later been uh, known to have been called things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and so on and so forth. But the key distinction I got when I was learning about this information was that they... Two and a half thousand years ago, they were talking about three distinctive ideas, thought, feeling, and body. And when they described body, body to them meant energy, uh, energy in motion. So they were referring to energy. So it's your thoughts, the way you feel, and the energy, how you move your energy. And they simply said, if you can get those three things to line up, then miracles really become possible. So unfortunately, what happens is a sporting person or a peak performer I want to go and do something. So they physically take the action, say, of making a serve. But they're thinking, what if I hit the net? And they're feeling, I don't want to make it too far because if I become too successful, I'll lose all my friends. So even though the action looks like I'm serving a ball, the thought and the feeling are incongruent to the action, if you get the concept. Yeah. And so what people have to start to realize is to get congruency between the three ideas. So when we talk about the head, the heart, and the hand, we're talking about the thoughts, the feelings and the actions and if you can line those three up authenticity can only come when your thoughts feelings and actions are one and and that's kind of the, the whole idea behind it. If and that's what we really do at our company we help people to align all three departments if you get the idea because if if you can't you know i always imagine that you're sending out these vibrational waves to the universe for want of a better phrase it's like you're sending out a request a request a a, a, a a shopping list of what you'd like. And that shopping list is basically based on how you think, how you feel, and what actions you're taking. So if I'm sending out this idea that I really want a Ferrari, right? I want a brand new Ferrari, so I start saving the money. But deep down underneath all of that, in my unconscious mind, I have this fear of people scratching my Ferrari. Then my shopping list, when it finally gets out there to the universe to get sent back to me, for want of a better phrase, my shopping list doesn't have Ferrari on it because I'm actually afraid of owning a Ferrari. I just think I want one. What, what it sends out to the universe is a, is a Datsun 180B. You know and That's the car I get back <laughs> yes. because, because I'm not congruent in what I'm asking for. And a lot of sporting athletes who've all got very similar physical uh, form, very similar physical skills, very similar levels of determination, deep down there are these unconscious incongruencies Around their belief systems, their decisions that they make, their worthiness, whether they deserve certain things, and these are the little incongruencies that actually affect the peak performance at the highest levels. So, my and that's what I was saying with the with those three things I mentioned earlier. Meditation helps you to, helps you to control the body. Visualization helps you control your feelings, and logical reasons behind why you deserve things helps you to control your thoughts. So when you do thought, feeling and body and you work on each one of them and you get them into perfect alignment, then as the ancient texts would say, uh, you will say to the mountain, mountain move and the mountain will move. So you will say I'm winning this race and you'll win this race. You'll say I'm going to be a millionaire and you'll be a millionaire. You will say I'm having an unconditionally loving relationship and you will have one, as long as
1: there is no incongruency. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I really love that how it's all, you know, getting that in alignment and you can, I'm sure everyone can relate to that who's listening to it and having those three aligned to make, you know, make those, you know, success and progress within your, um, area. Um, another key concept, another, you know, just a note I took from, um, doing a bit of research on yourself there, Ben, was doing whatever it takes, you've written here, doing whatever it takes to be your own best friend. I just love that and the way it's, you know, it's put out, um, for people. So, Just explain a little bit to us and the listeners about that, and and what Jesse mean by that.
2: Yeah, at the the end of the day, uh, in all the time I've been working on myself, and certainly helping others, like when I had my pit of depression, and it was, you know, it's not a good time. I I don't. It's not sort of something that I I celebrate or anything, but certainly coming out the end of it, I realised that depression only had one outcome. Depression only has one goal in life, and it's not. It's not to ruin your life. It's to make you fall in love with yourself. The only cure to depression, I hate to tell you, it's it's not medication. It's not any type of anything. The only cure to depression, cure as in not maintenance but actual cure, is to love yourself unconditionally. And so depression is sent to you to lock you up in your house, get rid of all your friends so you get to spend time with yourself until you really like yourself. So we always say with everybody, it, it doesn't matter sort of where you want to go in life the most important part is to become your own best friend because if you can become your own best friend, then everywhere you go, your best friend will be with you. And I know it sounds a little bit sort of clichéd in what I'm saying or a little bit woo-woo or whatever, but the, the, the simple facts are if you are best friends with yourself, so, I mean, if if, if a best friend of you, yours came up to you and desperately, desperately needed $5,000, because that $5,000 would in some way, shape, or form save her from some trauma, would you lend her the money?
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Of course you would, because she's your best friend, right? So you'd lend her the money because you love her, because you care about her or whatever. And so what I worked out is I was always doing everything for my best friend, everything. No matter what they asked, no matter what time of day, they call me at three in the morning, I'd get out of bed and I'd help them. And I woke up one day and I thought, holy cow, why why don't I do this for myself? When I need $5,000, why can't I find it? When I yes. need to go to the gym, why can't I take myself there? When I need to start a new business, why can't I do it? And I thought, I can do all these things for my best friend, but I can't do it for me. And that's when I realized I've got an issue. And the issue is I'm not my own best friend. So I sat down and started to do a really in-depth uh, journey of becoming my own best friend because – now that I am my own best friend, if I ask myself to do something, like start a new business, if I ask myself to buy a property, if I ask myself to do anything now, I do it immediately because I'm doing it for my best friend. And this is a very key distinction that really transformed my life. And I believe that virtually any problem on planet Earth can be solved by becoming your own best friend because without you know, spending too much time diving into it, uh, if we look at the nervous system and the body and the way we' we're, we're, we're designed and create like put together, uh, our entire body is a feedback mechanism, and the feedback mechanism lets us know when we're doing what we love or not. and uh, the quickest way to love yourself is to do what you love, and when you do that, your body gives you feedback of health and vitality. The second you don't do that, it gives you feedback of disease or what's known as entropy, and throws you out of a state of homeostasis. So I've found, you know, I became best friends with myself like 12 years ago, and I haven't, you know, I haven't been sick or visited. I, I literally have not had an issue or an illness or anything in 12 years. I haven't been to a doctor in over eight years. I just yeah, don't have amazing. anything go wrong anymore. And I find amazing. it's a really interesting thing because I, I really worked out that the entire physical body is a feedback mechanism, and it's giving you feedback to get you into love with yourself and get you to do what you love. And you'll find that, uh, I mean, what sort of sports do you
1: play? Um, I do some ultra-marathons, I've done some football, and as a kid growing up, i actually at national level in yeah, both running and the equestrian, actually. So it's like listening yeah, right. to all that, but um, yeah, so a range of sports in the end. So you'll find
2: that that when you're in the most focused moment, that, that state of flow, as Mihaly uh spoke about, where where you're in that absolute monothoughtism, where you're in the zone, fully present, fully invested, your brain is generally dead silent, right? So what we find is that people who are doing what they were born to do, people who are doing what they love the most, their brain is silent. And the reason the brain is silent is because any internal dialogue you hear is simply feedback to let you know whether or not you're on course. So what I find, certainly with peak performers, is when they're in their state of flow, like when they're in the round or they're in the ring or they're in the pool, when they start their swimming process, they're in such a focused state that quite often their brain goes into a state of silence. Then occasionally go back to coaching them, but quite often they hit these states of, of momentary silence. And, and so what i found is that uh, your brain gives you this feedback to get you back to a state of grace, back to a state of balance, back to a state of silence when you're doing what you love. So I found uh, in answer to the question that by becoming my own best friend, by learning to love myself and really working on it, you know, the same way I'd work on a relationship, the same way I work on my relationship with my wife or my, my baby girl, the same way that I, I do that, I I work on myself, you know, at nighttime I write out lists of the reasons I love myself, not from an ego place but from a getting to, be, getting to learn who I am, getting to know myself, you know, I often take myself out on I guess what you'd call dates, you know, I, I'll go to the movies on my own just to spend a bit of time with myself. I'll, I'll go to the mountains and I'll spend a day in the mountains just on my own, just to just to get to know myself more. Because at the end of my life, I want to look back and know that I've done everything I wanted to do. But also I want to be guaranteed of one thing. And that is when I take my very last breath on planet Earth, I want one person to be there. And that person I want to be there is my best friend in the whole world. And I'm now guaranteed of that. And I can't think of anything more freeing than knowing that every step of this journey is going to be spent with your best friend in the whole world. I think that's the greatest gift any human being can give to themselves, regardless of the successes yeah. you get, regardless of the, the wealth you create, regardless of the relationships you have. I think none of that counts if you can't look in the mirror and realize that you're staring at your best friend. And if you can, then I think you've won the game of life.
1: Yeah, that is you know, absolutely amazing when you think about it and being able to achieve that. And I'm sure you know, listeners are absolutely loving this stuff. and. I guess, um, Ben, we're sort of coming towards the end of the session. I, you know, if I talk about this forever and ever. I love this stuff with you. and uh, This is fantastic. Just got a final few questions for you. Um, yeah, what does an average day look like for you? What does, um, just give us a brief rundown from an average general day would look like for you from the time you get up to the time you go back to bed?
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there are a range of different days. I guess I, I'm a sleeper in so I get up at around about 10 o'clock every day. So I I just like getting, I like sleeping in. I don't know what it is. You know, I heard this research once that uh, 85% of heart attacks happen at 9am on Monday morning because we're the only species on the planet that has managed to master having a heart attack at 9am on Monday morning. It's the most bizarre thing. So once I heard that, I decided that I'll be asleep (laughs) at 9am from now on. (laughs) So so I get up. That makes sense. It, it, It totally does. And, uh, so I get up generally about 9.30 or 10. Our programs when we run our workshops start at 10 o'clock anyway because I like to sleep in. So I get up about 9.30, o'clock. I have a bit of a breakfast. Yep. Uh, so I like to go for a bit of a walk. Then I generally do some creative stuff like create ideas or I look at faster ways to help people transform their thoughts and grow their businesses. Then I jump on some calls like this. I generally do a couple of interviews or some coaching sessions. Uh or, if I'm doing a training, then it's sort of straight into our academy in the city there we've got a we've got uh we, we've taken over two floors of a hotel in the city we we now have our whole academy set up there so I go yeah. into the academy and train some people then uh generally I listen to some audio programs I don't read any books i I generally listen to books so I, I don't read very well I'm not a fast reader in fact i, I guess they class me as very very high level dyslexia uh yeah. and then I'd normally like to watch a movie and that's pretty i mean there's nothing uniquely special about my day I get up have some breakfast talk to some people hang out with my wife a bit we might watch a movie and cook some food and that's it that's pretty much the day like there's nothing really to it I I chuck some meditation in here and there I chuck a little bit of wrist list writing in but every night before I go to sleep every night without fail I never miss a night I visualize every single night of my life I, I do not go to sleep without lying in bed at least 15 to 20 minutes and imagining exactly what I want and and for me it's just rooms full of people you know that that's all I ever imagine I just imagine rooms full of people every night before I go to sleep
1: yeah that's awesome I love I love the 10 a.m. sleeping that's great yeah Um,
2: (laughs) I I do work quite late though so I I normally go to bed at two or three in the morning so I just have a bit of a different creative cycle
1: yeah absolutely Um, next question what are three sort of idols or mentors you have now, and mentors you had say ten years ago as well, and whether they've changed or not?
2: Yeah, nowadays I don't. Yeah, because I looked at. The, I know that you you like to ask uh, the people on your show this question, and I kind of think about this a lot. Nowadays, I don't really have any, which is not because I don't want them, but more so because I now see that I just have peers in my industry that now we just chat. Yes. And but back in the day hands down it was always Dr Wayne Dyer. Uh yes. you know it 10 years ago it was Dr Wayne Dyer uh Deepak Chopra and uh uh Candace Pert you know would have been my yes. my top 3. Uh then I started to really like a bit of Greg Braden and uh certainly there was a point where I went through a bit of a Stuart Wild phase as well and uh Carlos Castaneda and just I mean there's a range of different people out there that have done a range of different things. But for me, I think if, if, if my heart of hearts, it's always going to be Wayne Dyer. He, he's the guy that, you know, I've been listening to and learning from and being mentored by for, for easily over two decades of, of, of Wayne's stuff. So, uh, all the stories I tell on stage are always about Wayne and his teachings and some of the stuff that he's taught me. And, and, uh, yeah, I'd have to say it's him. And I, I really love Candace Perth's work as well. Uh, yes. I really love her angle and take on, uh, biology and and the cellular division and and all that kind of thing. And and I I really enjoy that. Nowadays, if I look around at what I'm studying and I'm more studying influence now, so I'm more studying psychology and how to influence people to make faster decisions because I I really nowadays understand that my entire art form and my entire craft is based on how quickly I can get someone to decide. Because if someone doesn't make a new decision about life, they'll never do anything. And so I focus all of my efforts. I mean, if you go through my Audible account, which is the Amazon audiobook business, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you go through my Audible account, eighty-five to ninety percent of the books in there are all on influence, every one of yeah. them, because that's really what I focus on. So uh, nowadays, uh, I mean, you know, I tour around the country a lot with Dr. John D. Martini. I think I think what he does, I think his works fantastic. I think he's an absolute genius at what he does. Yeah, and I find, you absolutely. know, talking to John when we're on tour is, is a great way of getting great information as well. I think I think he's a, an unlimited resource of knowledge. <clears throat> and I was uh, introduced to John only just a couple of years ago by a promoter who put us together and started touring us. And uh, I've got to say, I really do like a lot of John's stuff, and I really do like the angle he comes from. And uh, I mean, he really is a, a genius. And, and I'd class him to be a, a colleague up here that, that we get to hang out with, and Certainly has incredible intelligence in areas that uh, that I don't, and uh, I love to to have those conversations with him when we tour around the country. It's uh, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, your vision, Ben. What's your? Where do you see yourself in the next uh, ten years? What do you see yourself doing? You still in Sydney doing what you're doing now, or where do you um, see yourself being?
2: Over the next ten years, we want to start to approach. We've already begun. We're going to start to approach a far more global market. So. Uh, what we're noticing now is education is doing a little bit of a flip where people are learning far more at home and online. I think the live events are still a critical element of things and people in Australia definitely love live events. We're also finding, though, that around the world, people are becoming more disciplined at their ability to learn at home. You know, Back in the day, you'd buy a home study program and no one would use it. But in 2015, when you get a home study program, some people are actually opening it up and actually studying all the way through it. So we're starting to become we're a different type of learner now. And as younger generations start to come up through into the personal development world, we're finding that they've been trained to Google things and research things and look at things online. So they're used to learning in the comfort of their own home. And so we're sort of going with that trend and riding that wave a bit. And so over the next five to 10 years, we're gonna have a, a humongous offering online We've brought in uh, subject matter experts. We've now got three other world-class educators that deliver a range of different concepts from digital marketing to how to present uh, your message to camera and how to deliver uh, services online through video. We've brought in one of the world's best uh, trainers of how to write books and how to be an author. And, uh, yeah. I mean, your, your listeners can check all that stuff out on at authenticeducation.com.au. And we're basically just going to start rolling out what we call the Difference Academy. So we're about to roll out globally the Difference Academy, which will allow yeah. people to access our teachings from anywhere in the world. And I'll just keep doing the live events. I love the live events. I mean, I really do love it. And we've just, we've just completely renovated our entire academy in the middle of the city, spent thousands of dollars on it. So we won't be leaving that anytime soon. And, uh, <laughs> You know, my vision is just the world on purpose. That, that, that's it. If I was to sum it up, I, I just I just want to see people doing what they love. I, I, I just think it would be cool. You know, I know you love interviewing people. I know you love coaching people. And yeah. this is a cool experience. We've got two people talking to each other and we're both kind of doing what we love. And I, I think it's a good feeling. And I think if the whole world just did what they love, we would have far less issues going on. You know, we, the, we would have a significant reduction in the aggressive behavior, a significant reduction in the global problems if human beings were just given permission to honor what's in their heart and go out there and do what they love. And, and that's what I really see. I see the world doing what they love, and I don't think I'm going to achieve it in this lifetime at all. I'm not, I'm not ignorant to that fact. I think it's a problem that, that's way bigger than, than my years on this planet. But I just wake up acting like I can do it, you know. Like that's uh, yeah. the, what I say to people: is if you want to, if you want to really have fun in life, pick a goal that is impossible to achieve in one lifetime, but wake up every morning and act like it is, yeah. and
1: you'll be occupied. You know,
2: <laughs> you'll never, run yeah. out, you'll never run out of stuff to do. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And I guess we're going to come to sort of final sort of question for you, and you know, sort of starting to wrap up the whole episode. Was this is yeah, as I said, we could chat forever. What are you mainly, what's the most things you're most grateful for in your life?
2: Well, when you first said that, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was my wife. I'm definitely very grateful for her. You know, when I wake yes. up in the morning and I, and I see her there, I kind of think that, that she's like the gift I was, I've, I've been given for all the work that I do. So I'm grateful for her, and I'm certainly grateful for our, our, our baby girl. I'm grateful for my family. Absolutely, and I'm grateful for every single person that I've ever interacted with in my life that has taught me something, you know, the the people who've done the good things to me and the people who've done the the horrifically terrible things to me, I'm grateful for all of them because uh, I I appreciate every single thing in my life, and the good and the bad, I'm grateful for both of it because I realize that it's a learning journey, and I realize that without the bad, it's very hard to really, to evolve, it's hard to, to get the lessons and the distinctions, so... Uh, I don't know if it's, I'm giving you the specific answer that you probably were looking for, but I, I'm kind of grateful for everything. I think that's the key to determinant. You know, I, I appreciate yeah. life. I just appreciate it. And and that's one of the things that I really learned. There's, there's a great quote. One of my favorite quotes in the world is by a gentleman called Art Linkletter. link letter. try and say that 20 times uh, later. <laughs> Art Linkletter. And what his quote is is, he says, things turn out best for the people who make the best out of the way things turn out. And I'm just a big fan of that. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to win the next sporting event. But what you do with what happens is all that matters. So I've learned that things turn out best for the people who make the best out of the way things turn out. So anything that doesn't go the way I want, I make the best out of it. I learn from it. I get the distinctions. And so I appreciate all the people in my life, all the experiences. And I certainly appreciate the fact that I've given myself permission to, you know, not let my past dictate my destiny and that I've put in the effort to learn. You know, I'm a big fan of education. I think anyone who sits down to learn, people who listen to these podcasts, I really respect them because they have this unique thing where they know that they're able to learn and they can outlearn any issue in their life. And Will Smith, as you wisely pointed out, the guy just, he's a learner, man. He is just a learner. That guy knows yeah. he can learn anything. He says, there's only two things I do, read and run. You know, that, that's his yeah. two things: reading and running. And, yeah. uh, and and so I'm grateful that I can learn. You know, I'm really grateful for that, for sure.
1: Man, well, I'd like to you know, really thank you, acknowledge you uh, for coming on to today's episode and spending time with me um, and all the listeners out there listening. So I really acknowledge you for the amazing work that you do uh, for your training academy and all the thousands of people that are impacted by your work each year and you're really helping people live their lives to the fullest and doing such a great thing for the world. And I really hope and know that you will continue on doing great things this year and for many years to come. So thank you very much. Um,
2: it's a we'll real wrap pleasure. it up. I was just going to say,
1: if,
2: if, if your listeners, what I thought is I'd put together a little bit of a gift for them. So uh, if your listeners uh, want to, they can go to our website, authenticeducation.com.au, and then forward slash uh, ETL, And uh, basically, when they go there, authenticeducationcomau forward slash ETL, we've got about $100 worth of audio programs that we've put together that can assist them with their peak performance. So they don't have to pay anything. They just basically jump in there, download it. Uh, We normally just give a gift away for anyone who interviews us, and we just want to help out your community, James. So if they want to go to authenticeducationcomau forward slash ETL, and we'll have a, about three or four audio programs there that they can download. and It's got
1: some practical exercise in it, and I'm sure they'll get some benefit out of it. Yeah, awesome. So everyone listening, yeah, make sure you jump on there and take up that opportunity. I really thank Ben for giving that to us. So um, yeah, authenticeducation.com.au forward slash ETL. Um, jump on there, and as I said, I went to Ben's event earlier this year. Absolutely amazing stuff, um, and yeah, you'll love it. So jump on there. Um, thank you again Ben we'll, we'll um, finish it up there um, we'll have to have you on again sometime in the future um, and chat again because uh, 45 minutes or so is just not enough <laughs> so, um, so thanks again uh, very much and, um, and we'll finish her up cheers thanks man see you later